Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Well, my guest today is Peter Crawford, who recently published a biography of Justinian II, who will be our topic of conversation today. And what inspired you to write a biography on Justinian II? Um, I'm not really sure if there's, I think Justinian's just got this interesting idea that he's an, he's an emperor who loses his nose. So straight away that sort of mm-hmm. gets you interested. Um, initially I had written my, my, my uh, sort of all, dates all the way back to my PhD, which is many, many moons ago now. Um, and it was about the Roman army and Roman recruiting practices. And I'd gone up to the mid seventh century and, and then I'd written a, book of really about Emperor Heraclius and I fancied going a bit further because I think because the Heraclian dynasty is so uh, it's so interesting and th- a lot of different things are happening the empire is not the same uh, sort of superpower that it was um, but I sort of I sort of lost a bit of confidence with writing about it because I couldn't really find a uh, a definitive stopping point with a lot of it and I mean, it's, it's, it's so things all blend together so I went away and wrote other things. I wrote about Constantius II, I wrote about Zeno. Uh, and then I think what inspired me to come back again is I found a copy of um, uh, Theophanes, the Confessor, uh, a copy of his book in one of my favourite little bookshops uh, for 50p. Uh, I don't really know what that equates to in Norwegian Corona, but it is not very much, I can tell you <laughs> now. Um, uh, it, um, and I just thought, Let's have a look to see what I can find. And there's plenty of information about him. And then you get to the, it's the emperor who has no nose. Um, uh, I think I wrote, even at the beginning of my book, I explain that sort of the, almost the idea comes from a tweet that I didn't send uh, <laughs> from a, from a, uh, from a, uh, for a company that I, or the classic association of Northern Ireland Twitter that I run. Um, I wrote this tweet that was about essentially describing uh, Justinian's reign that he had, lost his nose, lost his throne, and regained both. Uh, that was sort of as this idea that he has a fake nose. Uh, and that was when I started to look in to see if there was been anything about written about him recently. And um, there is a good little biography by uh, Constance Head, but it's from 1972. There hasn't really been anything or hadn't been anything in any sort of large, anything large written about him. There have been interesting little sections about his coins and about aspects of his reign but they just hadn't been anything um uh, i'm not saying that my book is some some kind of earth shattering change to justinian's position but i think it, it is sort of an upgrade on constance head's uh uh work from 1972 because so much more has come about mm. since then uh, and that's sort of a mess i contacted my editor and just said look this is what i want to write next and he said fine uh sounds like a good a good subtitle and uh uh, which is always a part of the always part of the the, uh, the game is getting a nice title 
and to say an emperor whose own nose gets depicted nicely for the front. Mm. Uh, and that's just to say, just pure luck, I think. Just pure luck for that part as well. Yeah, so let's let's begin with his father because he's obviously a legend. Justinian the first, and mm. because he started off as a peasant, didn't you? If I'm talking about the right one, because I hope so. Let's talk just briefly about him to understand how Justinian II came to the throne. Um, the interesting thing for the first Justinian with regards to the second Justinian is that the, they are quite distant. Time-wise, we are looking, I mean, Justinian the first dies in 565, mm. and Justinian the second doesn't come to the throne until 685. So maybe we've got a, a century or 120 years mm. between them. Um, but there does seem to be some kind of connection to be made, mainly through Justinian the second's father, Constantine IV. Oh. There's some suggestion that he was a big fan of Justinian, uh, mainly because the military reconquests, I think, um, and possibly the idea that he gives his firstborn son the name Justinian because he thinks the, um, that's what the empire needs in uh, the late 7th century. And I mean, how, who could argue with that? Uh, the empire, in, when Justinian II is born in 668, the empire looks a hell of a lot different as it does. I imagine. The previous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's lost an awful lot of territory by that point. Uh Egypt and Syria, sort of large parts of Italy, large parts of the, the Balkans have all been lost. So they need, so they need an emperor to, to reconquer all of this. Um, and it seems that Justinian II himself seems to have taken a lot of this on board. Uh, I think when, when he comes to, uh, he marries, I say this again, jumping forward a little bit, but it's an important little thing to, to note. Uh, when he marries his second wife, who is a Khazar Turk, whose name we don't actually know. He has to choose a, a Christian name for her, and he chooses Theodora, which is uh, Justinian I's wife's mm. name. So there is some suggestion that this is, that uh, while there were, we are quite chronologically sort of uh, detached between, the, between Justinian I and Justinian II. So it's kind of easy to be confused between the two, because both names Justinian, both as a wife named Theodora. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, even I say, usually actually you'll find that most people won't talk about Justinian the first. They just talk about Justinian. Yeah, I did. Uh, I noticed I did the same thing when we were we were talking talking before that I was uh, mixing the mixing Justinian yeah. second with Justinian first. And there, I mean, there's there's other things as well. I think we I think when we look at just when you look at Justinian the second's religious policy as well. He's so keen to have his own ecumenical council which his father had, but also Justinian I had, uh, that he calls a council that is reminiscent of both. Uh, what is called the Quinisext Council, which essentially means the Fifth, Sixth Council. Um, he is, re- is reminiscent of the Fifth Council, which is Justinian I, and the Sixth Council, which is his father, Constantine mm. IV. I mean, really, I mean, it is one of these things. Justinian II, through... Uh, naming to the naming rights shouldn't be called Justinian. He should be called Constantine. Um, yeah. Every uh, I, I, he should be he should be seemingly born Heraclius and then be given the name Constantine as he gets older, mm. which is what happened all the way through the Heraclian dynasty. Um, every emperor is either Heraclius or Constantine. Or actually, in the case of Constantine the Third, both he is Heraclius Constantine the Third. His son is Constans, but that's not. He's known as Constans the Second, 
that actually he should be Constantine the fourth, then Justinian the second's father should be Constantine the fifth, and Justinian the second himself should be uh, Constantine the sixth. Uh, that's sort of that, that was sort of the way it had been uh, it had been structured. Uh, and see, but Constantine the fourth um, does away with this because he wants to call his son Justinian the second. He calls yeah. his younger son Heraclius, so he goes back to. Uh, he goes back to the normal thing because Justinian II does have a younger brother. Um, uh, and then when Justinian has a son, he calls him Tiberius, which is mm. uh, <laughs> not entirely sure. Uh, I don't know. I have a strange feeling that actually has very little to do with Justinian himself. I think that's maybe his wife has come up with the name Tiberius. Mm. Uh, that's maybe because Tiberius III was on the throne at the time and she was maybe trying to curry favour. Who knows? Uh, but there are certainly... Harking back to Justinian the first, I'd say maybe, and this idea maybe that the empire needs a great reconqueror at this point, um, which again is entirely possible, and also sort of into the idea that um, even in what we're into the six eighties, I suppose by the time Justinian the second is on the throne, the Romans didn't think that the the Muslim conquests were permanent. They were because a, the Muslims, this is the, uh, the Muslims are quite new yet. They aren't even pro yeah. Muslims at this time. Yeah, although right? even by by what six eight by six eight five, we'll say six eight five when uh, Justinian comes to the throne, they've been about for fifty years. Uh, yeah. It's half a century now. Six well six three six is the is the Battle of Yarmouk and the Battle of Cadicea. Uh, so. 50 years, but then as opposed to our Roman imperial history, 50 years is not very long at all. Um, but at the same, I think now the Romans, it's only really now that they're starting to realise that maybe some of this is not quite as impermanent as yeah. as previous as previous problems had been. Uh, so now, so maybe, again, as a, and another thing you have to say for some of the actions that Justinian is sort of accused of and some of his demeanour of being quite poor, a poor demeanour, mm. um, his father has set him up, really. His father has set him up to be this great reconqueror and a man who's going to reconquer all this lost territory. No pressure, he's, no he's pressure. Putting, yeah, he's putting a lot of pressure on his young son. Um, and then his son will have seen the supposed siege of Constantinople. He'll have seen things go badly. He'll have seen uh, his father die young. I mean, his, his fa- his, his fa- he's only 16 when his father dies. Uh, something also happened with his uncles, who he seems to have been quite close with. Uh, so, I mean, we've got a young man here who is, by the time he comes to the throne, is under a lot of pressure and also potentially some psychological trauma in there as well. So we have to be wary of what has happened to this. Hmm. I mean, he's st- I mean, we would still call him a boy. He's 16 uh, yeah. when he when he comes to the throne, maybe 17, depending on what, age, what year he was born, because we're not sure. It's either uh, 668 or 669. Uh, it's around about the time, say, one of the first things that happens, when, say, seemingly just after he was born, that his grandfather was murdered. Uh, his father dies when he's 16. His uncles had died. Uh, seemingly not long after that, by the sounds of it, his brother dies as well. So uh, although we don't really know what happens to uh, or to the younger Heraclius, he just seems to vanish uh, off the, uh, which may or may not be. Was it, was it possible that, that Heraclius could have gained the throne instead of Justinian II? Um, there was there is a potential argument for it, uh, but it's probably a little anachronistic. I think that one of the things, one of the big arguments, one of the big questions that can be raised about Justinian is is he a porphyrogenitus? Is was he born in the purple? 
uh, which is a sort of thing that's seemingly a bit later in Byzantine history. Uh, and it's actually one of these things that's about, it, it's a problem with, that we don't really know because of this discrepancy in, his date, in the date of his uh, birth. If he was born in 668, there's a potential chance that his father was not the emperor when he was born. His, his grandfather, Constantine II, was murdered uh, in late 668, um, uh, killed in a bath, killed in a bathhouse with a bucket. Mm. Um, uh, if he is born in 668, the chances are he is not porphyrogenitus, but his younger brother certainly is born when Constantine IV is the emperor. Uh, maybe 200, 300 years later, that might have been an issue. It doesn't seem that porphyrogenitus is really a problem at this point. Uh, I, I, I did refer to them a lot, but uh, mm. I, I don't know if you read the Alexia and in that era, mm. it was yeah. very, it was very proud tradition to be born. And Anna states as well that she was born post-finitus herself, and yeah. that she was born in the purple. So it seems that at least in that era, it seemed very yeah. important. Yeah. And I think it is a little anachronistic to post that back to Justinian. I think. I don't think it's ever used. And it's one of these things you always have to put, particularly with Justinian, Justinian the second, that is, you always have to look at what the sources are saying about him because the sources are almost all negative towards him. So they will jump on anything to belittle him. And none of them mention this idea that he shouldn't have been emperor because he wasn't porphyrogenitus, which suggests that A, he was porphyrogenitus, or B, it didn't matter at this point. And I think that's more likely... It's one of these things we sort of, because the, because the sources are so unanimously negative almost towards Justinian, it actually can help us with our depiction of him, where we can sort of go, hmm. well, if you try and think, well, maybe Justinian, did Justinian kill his brother? That's one of the things that you do sort of, we're, we're, we're hmm. going, we're sort of making our way down that path to the idea, did Justinian kill his brother? Well, none of the sources said he did. So, hmm. and all those sources are... I mean, what, it wasn't uncommon in that era, though, to kill your brother. No, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, his father had killed his, had, had tonsured both of his, uh, and mutilated both of his own, hmm. both, of his, both of his brothers. Uh, I think... His grandfather, Constantine II, had seemingly either mutilated or murdered his brother, Theodosius. So it was a, it was a family tradition uh, mm. at this point. But there's Lovely think, family tradition. Yes, a, a wonderful Christmas. <laughs> Christmas must have been great around the in that place. Um, I, think, I, think, I don't think Justinian killed Heraclius because the sources mm. don't say it. Did. And the sources would say because it's a negative thing. If it was a po- they, they, they hide a lot of positive things about Justinian, but they don't sort of go out of their way to hide the negatives. So they, because they don't say that he did it, I would mm. suggest that he probably didn't. It's just that maybe Heraclius dies young, uh, mm. which again is entirely is an entirely usual thing uh, at this point too, uh, which then, also again adds in actually to his to his per uh, his per, sorry, per psyche. It's maybe some psychological issues. Just so he's just at a per start, shall we say? I mean, in the ancient era, we already touched about this, of course, as we talk more about Justinian and his, and his ascended to the throne, etc. But in the ancient era, if you weren't liked by the Senate, you were most likely to become very poorly written. Mm. They, they were going to be written poorly about in later years. So was it this a case in Byzantium as well, that if you weren't liked in the Senate, you were going, going to come off badly 
you weren't necessarily bad, but you were going to come out badly in history because you weren't liked by the Senate. Yeah, I mean, it's the old uh, unpopular with the wrong people. And I think that's mm. what Justinian II is. Uh, he is seemingly very popular with a lot of the lower classes, but because of some of his tax policies, it's the, he, he actually beca- he's, he's, a, he's a champion of the, the small landowner. Uh, mm. And being a champion of the small landowner means you are taking stuff, away, taking land away from the big landowners. Mm. And the big landowners, as you said, are all the senators. Um, so, and the senators are all the educated men. So, are they the ones who are right? They're the ones. Who, most of them. Now, it's not quite as definitive that they're all that, uh, that this, the big rich senators are the ones writing the history as it mm. used to be in the Roman. Mm. Now, now we, you talked about him having they how that they had great expectations for regaining a lot of territory for the Byzantine Empire, and something they do very early on is on campaign against the Slavs. So, that, how does the campaign against the Slavs go? Well, I mean, it's a um, actually before he, before he fights the Slavs, he fights the. He fights the Umwads first. That's one of his. That's his first thing. Um, he now it's not. A, it's not a great, large campaign. Uh, he sends out uh, Leontius, who we will get back to later on. Um, and he it's a big strike out, out east. It's the first thing. One of the first things he does when he becomes emperor, he sends a strike against the Arabs, and it's a very successful one. It goes into Armenia, goes into Caucasia, uh, seemingly as far into Azerbaijan, maybe even into northern Iran. So it's it's, it's, a, it's meant to be a very good. And actually, it's a, it's well timed because basically throughout the first six seven years of Justinian's reign, uh, the Muslims are embroiled in a civil war. Uh, so it's a good it's good timing, and they offer him this massive. It's Abdi al Malik, is the caliph at this point, offers him a very useful treaty. I think I think Constantine the Fourth already had a good treaty, but Justinian the Second gets an even better one. Uh, and because he gets a large tribute paid to him. He then uses this tribute to build another army to invade or to go and fight in the Balkans. Um, uh, but actually, the difference with this one is he's going himself. Uh, he this is a very again this is a very Heraclean dynasty thing. Uh, Heraclius is the first Roman emperor to lead an army in person for three or two hundred years. I think it is by the time he's doing it. Uh, so what six ten? Um, I think Theodosius was the last one. Um, really, uh, so it's that sort of distance. Um, so, and this is all that Constantine II had done it, uh, Constantine IV had done it, and now Justinian II is going to do it. And he goes into the Balkans. Um, his father had been had been uh, had suffered a defeat at the hand of the Bulgars, so there was some addition, some suggestion that he was that's where he would go first, is that he would attack, he would attack the Bulgars. Um, and actually, his first battlefield success is against some Bulgars, but it's not the same Bulgars. It's not the Bulgar Khan. Uh, it is sort of seemingly some, uh, just going through the mountains of uh, Thrace, he goes, he defeats some Bulgars and ends up, uh, his target is uh, Thessalonica, uh, the second city uh, of the Roman Empire at this time. Um, and it's, it's Thessalonica has essentially been surrounded by Slavic tribes. And his idea, it seems, it seems that the strategic point is to uh, is to clear the roads, is to clear the roads from uh, Constantinople to Thessalonica, uh, sort of subdue some of these Slavs as he goes. 
uh, and maybe get some uh, some uh, plunder, some booty, uh, and also to uh, announce his reign, not just with a military victory over the Arabs, but with a military victory that he has won. Um, and that is, uh, and, and, he, and he manages it. He does, uh, we don't really have the in-depth sources we would like for this kind of campaign, um, but he does seem to have won a couple of decent victories. He probably had gathered quite a decent army is the way is the way that he probably has the Obsidian army with him. Uh, I think it's one of these strange things. It's 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 mentioned in the sources as the thematic cavalry, um, without ever actually explaining what that really means. Uh, but it, I think essentially it means he has the thematic army with him, which is uh, which would probably be the Obsidian and probably some of the Thracian army uh, as he as he went. And he defeats some Bulgars, then defeats probably two or three different Slavic tribes as he goes. Uh, and then enters Thessalonica in uh, in almost in triumph. Um, uh, there is some suggestion that there is a uh, a fresco uh, depicting him uh, arriving at Thessalonica, sort of as a, a conquering hero, uh, and uh, sort of taking on board a lot of uh, sort of uh, sort of almost injecting himself into local folklore. There's some suggestion that they say a later, uh, much later. I think it's like Pelia Logan. Uh, so what, fourteenth century uh, is so they sort of harking back to the great Justinian. But the suggestion is it doesn't mean Justinian the first at all. It means actually in this case Justinian the second. Uh, even though these two Justinians have probably melded together into one, mm. it's actually harking back to a Justinian who had visited Thessalonica, and Justinian the first had not visited Thessalonica. Uh, it is Justinian the second. Uh, it's hidden. Mm. It's, the, the the city itself is remembering that. An emperor called Justinian had, had visited them. They just don't want to make up the bad Justinian. Potentially, or it's one of these things. It's one of these things. It's, it's by this stage, it's seven hundred years later. How many of these people actually know anybody anything about Justinian the second? You know something about Justinian the first, mm. so it's just sort of oh, it must be the emperor Justinian. He must have done it. He conquered all these other places, so it's sort of an easy mistake to make. Uh, I mean, I, I myself. Because I mean, I yes. myself. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I mixed Justinian first and Justinian second with building the Hagia <laughs> Sophia. So there you go. Yeah, easily. It's easily done. Uh, and when he's in Thessalonica, he seems also to try and uh, add some administrative changes there as well. I think it's around about this time that he potentially uh, establishes a new province, the theme of Greece, uh, Elados. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe also a sort of quasi-theme around Thessalonica as well, or in the Strymon. So uh, he tries actually to uh, sort of, he's, he's regaining some territory, I suppose, is the way, and that's what he, what his name is supposed to have done. Um, and he then goes home. He probably, he, I would argue, he probably should have stayed a bit longer. He should have marched down into bits of Greece when he had a big army. Uh, but the thing is, New a, a new emperor on his throne. He kind of needs to be in the capital, particularly in the in the, the Roman Empire. He needs to be in Constantinople, so he can't be away for too long. Um, Did, sort of yeah. little addendum to uh, to these this Slavic campaign is when he's on the way home, showing that his victory over the Bulgars hadn't been a massive one. Uh, he's ambushed on the way home and almost killed. It seems only the Fleeing with the cavalry actually saves his life. Um, he almost his his reign was almost cut off, uh, literally in the first year. I think he would. I think it was sixty at six. So it was on his way home after his first year. 
he almost is killed. So um, a lot of a lot of interesting material we may not have happened had, uh, had the, uh, Calvary not been about. <clears throat> right. So now you, I know you, I know you said uh, you should. You talked about this before recording briefly, but we've kind of had to mention it because it's this. It says when I looked up Justinian that it's the persecution of the Mexicans, but it wasn't really a persecution. And as sad as it is to say, it wasn't more like what was normal normal persecution to put it that way yeah. for the lack of a better word in in those areas yeah i think the i think in, the, in that era not areas yeah it is something you will see if you look up some things about justinian is that he persecuted the manichees uh, <laughs> i think every roman emperor around this time persecutes the manichees i don't think it's something that's uh is sort of uh, sort of specific to Justin. I think the idea is maybe even, uh, I think as I mentioned to you, is that he's always considered to have followed the policies of his father uh, mm. and maybe the policies of Justinian the first when it comes to certain things. So that's maybe why he gets tagged as a persecutor of Manichaeus. It's usually suggested that it was some terrible persecution of the Manichaeus. I didn't come across anything specific in a lot of the primary material I was reading. Now, it doesn't mean it wasn't there because I most certainly couldn't have read it all. Um, mm. But it might just be a hangover from uh, from a lot of the other uh, persecutions, which, as you said, is uh, a bit sad to say was just endemic. It was yeah. just an endemic. Well, what did they have against the Manichaeus in the first place? Well, first and foremost, they're not Christians. Um, mm. So that's, I mean, it's it's... it's Straight away, as simple as that. Um, they, the Manichees are dualist, if I remember rightly. They are a dualist sect, um, have a lot of influence on Judaism and Christianity, depending on how old it's claimed to be. Uh, I think Mani is one of these interesting characters where you get about six different dates for his, uh, for his life, and they're not very close together. Um, I think you'll see maybe always the third century, third century AD, but I think you see him as early as maybe even a thousand BC at some point. I mean, it's sort of really, he's all over the place. I mean, I, I think he is a, I think he is a, a later, later Roman, he's a lot of, there is a lot of Roman or Judeo-Christian uh, influence uh, in Mani, in Manichaeism, but um, essentially, I mean, that's, that's why that's why the Christ, that's why the Christian Empire, Christian Roman Empire, persecutes anybody. I'm afraid mm. they're just not. They are not Orthodox Christians, which mm. uh, that's Orthodox with a small O at this point. Um, uh, but as we see, there's they're quite happy to persecute a lot of Christians mm. as well uh, because uh, that's almost actually worse as we as that they don't get the they don't get things right. Uh, mm. so say there's and say so that's one of the things that. Um, I mean, Justinian is, he does have religious policy of his own, uh, but again, I think a lot of that religious policy of his own uh, is following following his father and following Justinian the first, hence why he calls a uh, uh, an ecumenical council. Uh, or clay, he wants it to be an ecumenical council. It just isn't, because um, for, for there to be an ecumenical council, there needs to be sort of a big problem to fix, and there just isn't one for the first time in an awfully long time. There's no great Christological issue uh, for Justinian, but he wanted, I must call a church council because my father did and Justinian the first did. Uh, and he comes up with 
the Quinnisect Council, which is a venture is a, the fifth sixth council, and um, it's in the, within the Roman Empire. It is what it says. The canons it comes up with are basically accepted and mm. quite happily. So there's no problem with it all. That's question of it might be. Yeah, uh, it's essentially it's just following the rules. It's just it's the here are all the rules that we already follow. Now I've written mm. them down. <laughs> That's sort of. Yeah. What the, what the Quinnisex Council is. The problem is uh, there are parts of the empire that don't follow those same traditions. Um, he has trouble with the Armenians who are still in the empire because he, there's a couple of things that the canons of Quinisex, the Quinnisex Council go against. And the Armenians say, well, actually, that's not how we do things. Uh, more problematically is the Pope. Uh, the Pope. There's, there's two or three canons in, uh, maybe more than two or three, actually, in the in Quinnisex, uh, in the Quinnisex lists that are problematic uh, for the Pope. There are th- a, 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 they say, I mean, uh, things like depicting Jesus as the Lamb is one of the things that Quinnisex stamps down on, says you cannot do this. Uh, and yet, it is a very popular thing in Rome uh, and actually in Italy. If any, any of you, any of your listeners who have been to Italy and maybe seen some of the churches in. Ravenna, for example, the lamb is everywhere. Uh, now, that's possibly to do with Jesus as the shepherd, as it is in Galapagos, smaller lamb, uh, but also there's Jesus as the lamb on the Agnes Day, uh, Agnes Day, and uh, the Pope at the time, I think it's Sergius the first, um, is very much keen on this depiction of Jesus, and now he's been told that it's a barbaric custom, and he is not happy. <laughs> you can imagine. He will not sign up to this Quinnisex Council and uh, taking, a, taking a hint from, I think both from Justinian I, because I think he did it as well, uh, taking a hint from Justinian I and from his own grandfather, Constance II, uh, when Justinian II is confronted with a Pope who will not do what he's told, uh, he decides to arrest the Pope. Uh, and that is, he sends out men to... Uh, to achieve that, I think one of the stories ends up that this man uh, it meets an awful lot of local um, uh, opposition and ends up having to hide under the Pope's bed at one point. Um, and then I think this is it's sort of left up in the air. This is it's, it's all not going particularly well. Uh, and then Justinian is the, the, the word comes that Justinian has been deposed uh, for the first time and. Which we, which we will get, we will get back to do that eventually. Yeah, it all gets shelved. It all gets shelved. Mm. The, the religious mm. policy gets shelved for a while, uh, but Justinian's going to come back to it when he gets back to the throne. Mm. Uh, spoilers: He is going to get back on the throne mm. after the first time. Um, but yeah, there's is Quinisex is a, a strange phenomenon, but uh, one mm. that uh, sort of is going to paint an awful lot of uh, Justinian's reputation, shall we say, particularly mm. in Italy. <clears throat> now the. You mentioned that you went off the throne, and we don't don't come back to that eventually. But I want I want to talk about this unpop, very unpopular tax policy first, yeah. because why was this tax policy so unpopular? Because it, we you thought about this again before recording, and it seemed to be popular against the common people, but more unpopular among more the aristocrats. So was this a chance? Was that's why he became so unpopular at the time? Just among the aristocrats? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the oldest. It's unpopular with the wrong people. Uh, he mm. seems to have gone out of his way to to help the small landowner. Um, 
I think I think the suggestion is, is there's the the farmer's law. I think that's from around that the Georgios uh, Nomos is seemingly from this time. Uh, at least at least maybe slightly after it's still uh, depicting the empire of Justinian because of the changes he had made. Um, he sort of looks to protect um, small landowners from uh, from large landowners essentially, and also reduces their tax burden. Um, at the time, though, the empire is not in great shape. So, he while he re, while he reduces the tax burden on, on small landowners, he has to get taxes from somewhere else, uh, and that means large landowners and uh, and also actually from the cities uh, and particularly the city uh, in Constantinople. So, while he's quite popular with and actually probably very popular with sort of provincial landowners. Uh, he has made some enemies with the upper classes uh, and also seemingly with some of the urban masses as well. He sort of had, uh, his recruiting policies had been had, had fallen quite heavily on the urban masses as well as uh, essentially because he couldn't he couldn't afford to uh, to get rid of a lot of the small landowners because a they were his support but also he needed them to keep uh, keep production running. Um, so he's actually again he's he's not he's not widespread. Uh, unpopular, it's just unpopular with the wrong people. And in mm. the empire, the worst place to be unpopular is in Constantinople because that's where the emperor lives. Uh, so if you're unpopular there, you can get uh, you can get ousted. Now he's again not completely devastatingly unpopular in the in the in the capital, but he's just unpopular with enough of the wrong people um, for it to be problematic. There's some suggestion that uh, he did not take kindly to opposition, which is probably something that is probably correct. He doesn't seem to have done well when somebody said, somebody resisted some of the some of his policies and told him maybe his policies weren't great. Uh, he does seem to have imprisoned a lot of people uh, and confiscated land. Uh, and also uh, seemingly, well, there's two of his officials become very unpopular, seemingly because they use physical coercion to try and get people to pay their taxes. Um, again, how much can we believe that? Uh, we have to make some of these things to be wary of. There's, I mean, there's stories about burning feet and burning people alive to get them to pay their tax. Is it true? Yeah, sounds it's one of those. Nicely. Yeah, it, it it sounds very Robin Hood sort of. The, the, the sheriff of Nottingham and Prince yeah. John were also terrible. Um, it just sounds like somebody is is colouring the story even worse. Yes, people didn't like paying taxes. People never liked paying taxes. Uh, and when somebody needs that, when the, when the state needs those taxes, they have to be stringent in their implementation of those policies. It just makes it worse, makes them more unpopular. But I mean, it's for the good of the state, really. Uh, but uh, it's just say, I don't think he's massively unpopular. I just think he's unpopular with the wrong people. Uh, and actually, it's sort of, it's not just sort of his tax policies that get him deposed. It's things like, there's military issues and there's uh, there's other things too. It's and there's religious policy as well. Is this uh, a, is this where we start to see that the that the population rises under Leonid? Oh, sorry, I'm gonna try to say his name right here, Leonidas. Um, uh, that's a name now. Um, that is he an uprising against Justinian the Second? Leontius is the is the man who leads the leads the big yeah. um, uh, Leontius. Um, he had been, he's an he's 
been a, he's been an ally and a victim of Justinian Leontius. Mm. Um, he had uh, led the army in their first war against the Arabs mm. and had been very successful. He had invaded seemingly all the way to Iran. Um, he was also the army commander in the second war against the Arabs, which is in 692, uh, which is the great sort of war of images conflict, mm. supposedly, um, and had not done so well <laughs> in that second war um, to his political decline, essentially. Uh, he had been, he had, he had led the army, he'd been one of the leaders of the army at the Battle of Sebastopolis. Uh, in 692 and through defection and dissension the army had been beaten now i think there's also some strategic issues as well um and actually one of the big problems is that justinian ii is also uh present and seemingly also just about escapes death after the defeat uh by the forces of uh, abdel al-malik um so he needs somebody to blame and he decides to blame his general Leontius, uh, who gets put in prison and is seemingly in prison for three years, which is a long time. Excuse me, in the in the Roman world, uh, Roman prison is not the same as prison for us. We took that we would have custodial sentences for like you're going to go to prison for twenty years. Uh, a lot of the thing that pr- prison for the Romans was it was like a holding cell to decide what we're going to do with you. Uh, so for, to, to have been in prison for three years was a long time. Mm. Um, also probably hateful and terrible. Uh, I think there's even some suggestion that some people were in prison for seven or eight years, which not, was... Not the again, best place to have claustrophobia. No, I would imagine it was not a very nice place. And I think even compared to some of our modern prisons, I think it was probably not a very nice place to have been. Um, he, it's a, He's in prison in Constantinople. And uh, all of a sudden in... 695, uh, Justinian decides that he needs the new commander for his new Greek theme province in uh, in Greece, the Helados theme. Uh, and seemingly because he has got rid of other commanders or they have died for on either fighting or he has uh, imprisoned them, uh, there's not many other people left. So yeah. he finds an ex-general in prison and essentially sends word to him. Hey, sorry him. about it. Hey, sorry about it. Essentially, yeah. So, sorry, sorry about you. So you've languished for the last three years. Um, it's a combative fight for me now. Him. Yes. It's a, you are, it's a, he frees him, makes him uh, strategos of the Hellenic theme and tells him basically, you have two days to get out of the city. It's essentially, it's one of those you, you I think, or even maybe even less, it says it's you will leave now. Uh, collect the army that's or collect the forces that I have set aside for you and get out and go and run. But then you say, uh, go and run the Helodus theme for me um, yeah. while say while I'm treating you so badly. Um, and while he's he, he, he goes to do it, he goes to set this all up and say, I mean, he's had a second chance. Uh, the Helodic theme might not be the most glamorous theme at this point, um, but it's better than being stuck in, uh, it's better than being stuck in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, seemingly at this point he is visited by two friends uh, two, two uh, monks who uh, who persuade him through claims of dreams of his accession uh, that he should rebel against Justinian the first uh, or sorry, sorry Justinian the second I've made it now as well um, and 
essentially he is he is persuaded to do so. He uh, goes to the uh, the prison, the main prison, the Praetorium, um, bluffs his way in, uh, the and then releases a lot of the prisoners. Uh, and a lot of these prisoners are high ranking uh, high ranking men who have refused to pay their taxes or for whatever reasons have angered the emperor. And it's them that for, sort of form the, the the nucleus of this revolt uh, in Constantinople. Um, again, we, we can't be quite sure who exactly has joined them. Uh, a lot of the times with, I think with a lot of uh, revolts in Constantinople, it's not necessarily who's joined you. It has, it is um, who hasn't, uh, mm-hmm. who has decided to stay on the sidelines and watch to see who wins. Uh, I think that's what happens more regularly than sort of everybody dives in. It's more who's actually going to A, fight against this, uh, fight against this regime or B, fight for the regime or actually secret answer C, who's going to wait to see who wins. Uh, and that's, I think I would, I would suggest. I choose, that, I choose the secret door, please. Yes, uh, I think, and I think that's what an awful lot of people did uh, with Justinian, uh, and then uh, he's 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 his regime's overpowered very quickly. Um, how, how long time has he been on the throne at this point? Where when he's been in the throne? Uh, I think this is this is six nine five. So he's been this is this is his tenth year. He's just finished full mm-hmm. ten full years uh, as emperor. Um, that's that's not yeah. too bad though, considering Roman standards. It's... Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and particularly how things are about to go after his after the end of his first reign, uh, we're we're about to embark onto the period known as the twenty years of military anarchy. Mm. Um, so, and it's not even that bad compared to some. It's not not, not it's not the third century. Let's put it that way, mm-hmm. when men are ruling for seemingly seventeen days at a time. Um, but uh, he he seem, he is seemingly just it's just. It, not enough of the local populace support Leontius or don't support Justinian, and uh, seemingly there, there doesn't there doesn't even read like there's some great like battle to save it. It just seems like the whole thing just falls apart. Um, is that a lack of support for Justinian? Yes, but it doesn't necessarily mean a great a lot of support for Leontius. It's just people retired. It was at night. That was the other thing. A lot of it was happening at night. So actually. Maybe a lot of the people in this, a lot of the populace of Constantinople just mm. didn't care, and it was just one of these things. Oh well, it's the morning. Uh, I've been just another emperor dethroned. Yeah, yeah, just leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 well, I sort of, is the is the grain supply going to be all right for tomorrow? Mm. Oh yeah, that'll be fine. Then I don't care who's in the throne. That's yeah, that there's, there's a there's a I was watching chairs recently. There's a brilliant joke where uh, Norm says that uh, do we, does the price of beer change? No, the why yeah. do we care who is in the management? Yeah, um, yeah, that's it, it, in a way that's for large parts of the for. I mean, they, they have to remember that the the average the average Roman is a subsistence farmer or a subsistence uh, 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 urban poor who requires basically the state to look after him. So as long as the state's going to continue to look after him, or he can continue to feed himself, it doesn't matter who's on the throne. Yeah, uh, I mean, yes, there might be some latent. Uh, like of the Heraclean dynasty for what it has done for them, but in the end, uh, that kind of loyalty doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, and it seems that again, Justinian has made the wrong people angry. So actually, a lot of that loyalty uh, sort of has flown out the window. He's just not. Mm. He's just made himself unpopular with, uh, say, at the wrong the wrong time, yeah. maybe. 
uh, with religious policies and other thing. Now he's added in his military defeat. He had, he's up until now he had sort of had well, I beat the Bulgars and I beat the Slavs and I beat the Arabs. But now he's lost to the Arabs quite mm. badly uh, at Sebastopol. So, um, I mean, the Arabs were killing it at this time, though. At this point in time, um, not quite yet. Uh, they this is their, this is their sort of lull period with the the second Fitna, their second civil war. They'd been knocking seven bells out of each other for. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the Mayans uh, loved the civil war. Yeah, for about ten, for nearly ten years, or I think six nine. 692, I think, is the end of the uh, the second fitna, which then coincides with Abdel al-Malik seemingly wanting a brief war with the Romans and winning a victory over Justinian II. Um, he then goes into overdrive. This is uh, it's, it's, it's in it's in the next three or four years. It's after after Justinian's first uh, deposition, where Africa is conquered and uh, uh, say Carthage falls and. The, the, the our Muslim forces are moving further and further west. They're 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 into um, uh, into what Algeria and Morocco by this point. Um, they've caught, they've probably the most most important thing to happen at that time is the not just the conquest of Carthage, uh, but the conversion of the Berbers. Uh, the uh, the the Berber peoples of of North Africa are converted to Islam when it was sort of quite close that they were going to become Christians, mm. then they, they became uh, Muslims instead. And it's actually them who are going to be the main manpower for the um, uh, the Muslim invasion of Spain uh, in 711, which is just at the end of... Uh, 24-7. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's all sort of... There's no one thing that has caused mm. Justinian to be deposed the first time. Uh, he's not massively unpopular, but again, he's unpopular with wrong people. Uh, he's got, he's got, and I think actually another thing about his unpopularity, while it might not be sort of massively widespread, it's spread around around different stratums of society. The Pope doesn't like him, therefore, there's religious people. Some religious people will not like him. Uh, he's he's lost, he's lost, and he's lost battles. He's lost the battle, so and then treated the army badly because of it. Um, so uh, it's not happy with him. Uh, hence, Leontius being a general who becomes mm. a uh, who becomes the emperor in the, in the aftermath. Uh, he's also got upper class and urban power, seemingly not too happy with him either. So while there might not be vociferous hate for Justinian, it's it's widespread enough in terms of different groups of people that. And there'll be enough neutrals, therefore, to to do away with them. Uh, so that's 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 what happens in six ninety five. It seems that he is just uh, is just by trying to change too many things, he has um, sort of made a rod for his own back and gets mm. uh, gets the well, not quite the chop, a, a certain type of chop, but uh, not the he doesn't get the head cut off at this point. Uh, and I'm going to talk about another chop, of course, the one we have all been waiting for, I assume, the mm. chopping of his nose. So it sounds quite painful to get the nose chop of the same action. Yes, it will It will have been terrible. Uh, it will have been... Uh, one thing you will say about for Justinian is that it probably... I mean, I, mean, I, I did a little talk on uh, a brief history, a brief history of mutilation. It's actually in the, the part of it. It's actually based on a section in the book. Because uh, mutilation that way is a is, is far more widespread than you might imagine. But uh, he is he he suffers from 
rhinotomia, the cutting off of the nose. Uh, we're not entirely sure how much of his nose is cut off. Um, there are some, some I find some depictions of uh, nose being cut off, which is far more drastic. You will see sort of people getting cut, uh, like, like an entire sort of like triangle out of their nose and the whole nose just peeled away. Mm. Um, I suggest, I would suggest that it is just a hack off of the, mm. of the nose. He also, one of the things that's sort of forgotten about it, uh, he also suffers from uh, glossotomia. Uh, he gets the, he gets his tongue slit as well. Mm. Um, so uh, now I don't think that means he gets his tongue cut out because there's no suggestion that he couldn't speak properly afterwards. The suggestion is probably it was just either it could have been it could his tongue could be cut in half or he could have lost mm. a bit of it. Um, one thing I will you have to say straight away about all of this um, is that he's been quite lucky. Uh, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say. Uh, but it didn't kill him. Uh, it did not kill him. Um, that is, and that's sort of when Leontius, who has now deposed him and has now become the emperor, uh, when he decides that, Le- that Justinian II is not going to be executed, he's going to be mutilated in this way, his hope will have been that he will die. Uh, he will want, he will have wanted Justinian to die. Um, but he didn't want the burden of having killed the anointed emperor. He he wanted to punish him in such a way that A, he couldn't be emperor again, because that's the whole point. You took the yeah, I'm so, I was trying is, to say that there's a reason why they were doing this, because mm. if, if you were born with a, with a disability or mm. had, had a disability like lost arm or in this case a nose yeah. or blinded, which was a very common thing to do. It, be, it become The, the blinding yeah. actually follows this. The blinding... It, it, Blending has not yet become the the go to. Blending becomes the go to mm. after Justinian. So uh, that's essentially, yeah. because, essentially because as we're going, to, we're going to find out, the whole idea was to cut his nose off and to slit his tongue, mm. so he couldn't be emperor again. Yeah, Justinian's the, yeah. going to become emperor again, so it doesn't work. Um, it, it doesn't work for Justinian. So after him, I think is, is, it's his second successor uh, is blinded, and blinding mm. becomes sort of the main go-to uh, removal from uh, political power basically until the end of the Byzantine Empire. Uh, so there's a long list. If you, even if, for those who are interested, there's a big long list on Wikipedia listing all the people who have been, who were uh, politically blinded uh, for, um, I mean, there's some hideous stories about uh, Basil the Bulgar Slayer with the the 10,000, is it 1,000 or 10,000 Bulgar army that he blinds them all apart from every 10th man or something like that. He only loses one eye so he can take them all home. And it supposedly is such an awful sight that it causes the Bulgar can to have a heart attack. Um, that's sort of the, supposedly the great story of uh, of Basil II. Uh, but I mean, mutilation had been, had been around maybe a bit longer than, uh, particularly in Roman circles. It's not usually seen as a very Roman thing. It hadn't really been a very Greek thing. Um, but there is some suggestion of mutilation. Fourth century or fourth century AD, um, there is seemingly one of the, uh, seemingly an emperor or a, a candidate for emperor. I think he's the son of Jovian. Had maybe been had been castrated, seemingly to stop him from being emperor. Um, the usurper John uh, or Johannes, he's normally listed as uh, four two three four two five. Uh, he is, a, I think, he is. He has an arm cut off uh, as a mutilation thing, but then he's beaten to death, so it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't actually matter. I think 
Priscus Atlas, I think, has, has loses an arm as well. So there is there is some use of mutilation, but I think the real it becomes a more prominent thing under the Heraclians. Um, uh, I think the first one is Heraclius's Ill- illegitimate son, um, John Arthuricus. He is uh, he he has uh, he, does he lose his nose? I think he loses his nose uh, and is then uh, exiled to Malta. I think. And his co-conspirator loses his nose and has a leg cut off. So, I mean, it's proper bodily mutilation. Uh, and there are other members of the Heraclean dynasty this has happened to as well. Uh, I think, say, Constantine IV seemingly mutilated both of his brothers. Um, uh, I think they are Tiberius and Heraclius. Uh, and as you say, general disability was another way to disqualify individuals from... Uh, from um, uh, from imperial service, from imperial rule. Uh, I think one of Heraclius's sons was a deaf mute, and that was considered enough to. Uh, uh, I want to say he's David. That might, be, that might not be correct. Theodosius, actually, I think he is. Um, and he he was considered. He was not. He was never. He was not murdered when a lot of the rest of them were done away with, because he would already been disqualified from imperial rule. Uh, mm. Of course, the most famous seemingly disabled uh, candidate for the imperial throne uh, is Claudius, the first Claudius, yeah. all the way back, um, whatever it was, whatever was his physical malady, whether it was some kind of Tourette's or some kind of cerebral palsy, it didn't stop him from being emperor. Uh, and he also, was, he's one of my favourite emperors, to be honest. I think he's really... Yeah, I've said this before, and he's, and, and he's underrated as emperor. Yeah, interesting guy. And, his problem is that he causes a lot of problems down the line with some of his choices, but actually his his secretariat actually runs the empire rather well. Um, there's other, other. Uh, I mean, I don't know, if, uh, there's the great Spartan king, um, Adjusileus II, uh, is what, uh, I want to say, late 5th, early 4th century BC, has a club foot, and he was considered, he, he couldn't rule because he was... Uh, because he was essentially, well, they, they say it was maimed, but he wasn't. They think it's was from, I think it's from birth. Um, but he ends up as the king and rules as king into his nineties. So uh, it's sort of, it's supposed to be a a way to stop people from being emperor. But actually, we get quite a few instances where it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And Justinian the second is going to be another one. Um, uh, but it must be said, he is lucky. He is lucky that he didn't kill him. Um, I mean, uh, his, his nose and his tongue mutilated. Uh, he's a lucky he didn't bleed to death. B lucky he didn't have a, get an infection and die of it. Uh, and C didn't die of shock. Uh, so he's been very fortunate straight away. Um, so then, of course, the what do you do with them? Uh, now you've mutilated. Are you going to keep them in Constantinople? Mm. No, they they send them off into exile to uh, what is considered the end of the world. And the end of the world at this point is uh, the Crimea. Uh, and uh, he's, he's sent to sent to live out exile in the Crimea. Uh, the suggestion is that they never they never see Constantinople again. That's the uh, that's the plan. Um, and two other emperors rule while he's away. Uh, and seems for the for a, for a while at least he seems to have just accepted his lot and just thought, oh well, uh, mutilated. I can't be emperor anymore. Um, well, that doesn't last. Uh, he, uh, before you go back, though, I want to talk. What does it do in exile? Does it do anything? 
Does he? There's there's a period of time he doesn't seem to do very much. Um, he seems the sheer, the sheer fact he's an ex emperor does seem to attract some people to him, um, but not necessarily an awful lot. He's probably kept under some kind of guard, but actually over time that just doesn't really become anything. He just uh, he's almost sort of be a fixture. He can he can walk about the town. Uh, he's in he's in Cherson, um, uh, not the current modern Cherson. It's actually a different place. Uh, so I mean he's. He's, he's just left his own devices. Um, well, he, he seemingly for a large part of it, he didn't really do very much. Uh, it's one of these things where um, the sources don't tell us because the sources don't know. It's not interesting uh, enough. To... No, uh, so the sources are not interested in it. He's a deposed emperor. Maybe he's not doing anything. And when he gets back to the throne, it's not the kind of thing that Justinian himself is going to want to explain to anybody because... In his propaganda, it didn't happen. <laughs> he, he is never not emperor in his propaganda. But something that is interesting, though, is what happens in Constantinople during his exile, and how, what what makes what makes it so that he can return to the throne. Um, well, Leontius takes on uh, is uh, takes on uh, the emp- the emperor and um, he tries to be militarily proactive in some ways. Uh, and the big the big expedition he sends is to save Carthage. It's during his reign now. He's um, six nine five to six nine <coughs> eight, I think. Excuse me. Yes, six nine eight. Um, he sends a big expedition to save Carthage, um, and briefly it succeeds. Uh, it uh, there's some suggestion that they uh, again the the sources are not good. It's not very clear what's happening in some of these. And some of these sources are what's happening at certain times. It seems maybe that the um, that the Muslims had captured Carthage, and then this expedition under a man called John um, succeeds in taking Carthage back. And then there's another great battle for Carthage in 698. Uh, that is the definitive Muslim conquest of Carthage. Um, this expedition then limps home, arrives in Crete, I think. And basically decides that, uh, and maybe maybe remembering Justinian a bit too much, uh, basically decides that the emperor is going to punish them for failing. Uh, I think the suggestion is that Leontius told them to go back and try again. Uh, that was that's all. That was his sort of. I think that's what the word was. Uh, the navy decides not to. Decides that we do not want to go back there. Um, the emperor is then going to punish us. Uh, so they raise their own commander. Uh, there is a they kill or they kill they kill John, the, the main commander, and raise one of their own naval commanders, uh, a man called Absamar, uh, and make him Tiberius the uh, Third. He then attacks and captures Constantinople and uh, deposes uh, Leontius. So after less than three years, uh, his, his reign really is just encapsulated in coming to the throne and then being kicked off the throne. That's the, uh, there's a little bit more, but it's not necessarily all that interesting or actually all that epoch making. Um, he's mutilated as well. Uh, Leontius has his nose cut off and is confined to a monastery. Uh, and that leaves Tiberius III now to reign for the next three years. Uh, sorry, next seven years, actually. He gets these next seven years. Um, his reign is... I suppose, I mean, 
he's overlooked a little bit. It's just it's just like he's just seen sort of as a placeholder for the return before Justinian returns to the throne. But actually, it seems Tiberius III is a little bit better as an emperor than uh, than people would like to admit. Uh, his brother, uh, I think it's a Heraclius, he serves quite well as a sort of, he's given this sort of position as monostrategus, so as basically supreme general of the entire empire, and seems to do a good job. He seems to, he wins victories against the Arabs in Cilicia. Uh, he seems to have maybe been established and about to fight some of the Bulgars at some point. Uh, so actually, it seems that Tiberius III had done all right uh, as an emperor, and normally it's just seen as that uh, all of this is... Uh, so say just window dressing that nothing is happening, but actually the empire goes on and seems to build on what the Heraclean dynasty had done. Um, how Justinian gets back into the game is he goes further east, he goes further away. He's, he's right at the end of the world. He goes a bit further away into the end of the world uh, and finds a willing ally in, uh, well, seemingly willing, uh, in the Khazar Khan, uh, a, man, a man called Basir. Um, these are the, these are the first Turks really to em- enter into the sort of into the Western world. Um, the there'd been a large Turkic invasion in the late sixth century, and then it split in half, and gradually some of the Turks had gone back east. And these are one of the these Khazar Turks are seemingly one of the tribes that stay uh, and essentially make sort of a little state for themselves uh, all over the Caucasus. Um, and Justinian contacts the. Uh, the Khazar Khan. Essentially, I think the Khazar Khan has got some uh, has some control over parts of uh, what is now basically the battleground between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, he's sort of some of the cities I think that are on some of the Greek cities that are on the uh, the Tama the Taman Peninsula. I think he has control over those, and he basically meets with Justinian, and they forge a marriage alliance. Uh, Justinian marries. Usually seen as Basir's daughter, but probably as his sister. Um, don't know her name, but we do know he is, she is renamed Theodora. Uh, and that is, and it's at this point that Justinian has decided that he's going to regain the throne. Uh, the suggestion is that for the first few years he hadn't bothered, uh, but now he is, he is going to go and he maybe he's heard about Leontius being killed. Maybe that's the kind of he's maybe he's heard. Well, how long do you say next time? How long, long does it take before he? Well, it's it's ten years. So I mean, it's not it's not sort of he, has, he couldn't have been planning it all this long because if he was, his plan was terrible. Um, it's one of these things where he is. I think he has just looked for uh, opportunities, uh, and this opportunity now is that the the Khazar Khan is going to help him uh, take the throne. Um, it seems that this leaks out and. Tiberius III hears about it in Constantinople and essentially orders Justinian to be captured and executed. Um, he actually finds a willing participant in the Khazar Khan who almost immediately betrays Justinian, sends two, um, uh, two uh, officials to kill Justinian. Uh, it probably seems that his, his new wife saves his life by telling him what's about to happen. And he then kills these two officials, uh, leaves his wife, who's now pregnant with his uh, with his son, uh, and decides to run because now he can't stay in the church. So he has to he has to flee. Um, and there's only other that he can't he can't go south into Roman territory. He can't go east into the Khazar territory. Uh, north is probably 
also Khazar territory. Uh, he has to go west and he gets on a little boat with about seemingly about a dozen men and sails along the top of uh, the Black Sea and arrives at the mouth of the Danube uh, and goes to talk to the Bulgar Khan, a man called Turville. Uh, and it is Turville who agrees to help Justinian reclaim the throne uh, in 705. Uh, they march down to Constantinople. Essentially, it's a Bulgar army, marches uh, into Roman territory, arrives at the gates of Constantinople. Uh, he's not immediately allowed in, but there's no sort of so there's no great sort of support for Justinian, but there's no great seemingly support for Tiberius III either. Again, it seems like a bit of a, uh, a repeat of this of the previous of the previous, where there's that sort of people are just waiting to see who wins rather than uh, choosing a side. Um, I think Justinian tries to talk his way in. He gets rebuffed by the populace, uh, and then uh, probably him using his knowledge uh, of the city. Uh, he finds a way in through maybe a disused aqueduct, I think is the idea, which could be the aqueduct of balance, which is, I think, still broken at this point. I mean, they should, get, uh, they should also mention that it does get a fake nose at this point to become emperor. Um, Doesn't it? That is not certain. <laughs> That's one of these things. It is not certain that he had it, that they had the fake nose. It is, it is, a, it is a supposition. Um, there's some, even some suggestion that he even had plastic surgery on his nose. Mm. We just, it's not no funny glasses though as far as I know no no funny glasses I'm afraid uh, no big moustache to go with mm. it um, I'm afraid it's, I think it's one of these things where it's just it's just an assumption that is made um, and I think that the only depictions we have of him after his, he loses his nose are uh, on his coins and on his coins he's he's not going to depict that he doesn't have a nose so um is he wearing a, I mean, I think even the suggestion that he's got a golden nose is from uh, an Italian source, I think, an Agnellus, who was op- uh, who was an opponent of him. Now, I think there's also sources to suggest that the fake nose was a thing. I think uh, I think even the Prophet Muhammad talks about it. It might even be in the Quran, um, this idea that, uh, uh, that somebody had a replacement silver nose. And I think... Muhammad tells, and they, I think they I think it's what his, his warrior complains about it smelling. He's a silver nose. He complains about it smelling, and Muhammad tells him to use a golden nose instead because the gold won't tarnish. So it's uh, it's sort of a, and I think the suggestion is that that's, this is what Justinian did. Um, but I think it's just far less sort of information about it than we probably would like. Uh, yeah. Whether it's, say it's something strapped to his nose or uh, strapped around his head. I think we're just we're we're literally clutching at straws, uh, unfortunately. Um, I wouldn't put it past him, but also he also might just have invoked, I suppose, imperial like the emperor's new clothes. Just yeah. say, just, just yeah. ignore it. Just ignore it. Uh, and he's, he's I'm the emperor. Doesn't matter what I look like. I'm the emperor. Mm. Um, well, this so, people can't see when those. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they say. He's, he, the emperor is not seen by very many people, so just follow my orders. That's all you need to do. Mm. Um, so he, he steals into the city, and uh, the regime of Tiberius III collapses, similarly to Justinian's. There's no sort of uh, great battle to maintain uh, either of these uh, either of these regimes. Um, 
Justinian revels a little bit too much in the in his victory. Uh, he drags the mutilated Leontius uh, out of prison, uh, and seemingly this great sort of set piece in the middle of the Hippodrome, uh, where he, uh, of course, he wanted to mutilate. Uh, he wanted to cut off Leontius's nose, but Tiberius had already done it. Um, and there's this sort of great scene in the Hippodrome where he has Leontius and Tiberius bowing at his feet and he seemingly steps on both of their necks uh, and this is this was taken to mean uh, this great a great scene out of the bible i think i can't remember it's one of the psalms i keep going it's one of the psalm 95 or something like that uh, it's a uh, it's, it's a psalm that talks about jesus slaying the the snake and the basilisk and in this thing the basilisk means lion and the snake means snake. Uh, Leontius is the lion, Leo, and Tiberius III's original name is Apsomar, and Apsomar is snake. So it's this sort of great sort of biblical scene. Uh, and I say again, any of you, any of you listeners who have been to uh, Ravenna, there is a, in, in San Andreas Chapel, uh, there is a great mosaic of Jesus the militant Jesus, the militant Christ, and he is standing on a snake and he is standing on a lion. And this is seemingly that this is what Justinian has played out. He has played out this biblical depiction of standing on a lion, standing on a snake. And this is not necessarily saying that he's Jesus, but then this is this sort of great, because the, the, the historical sources suggest that the people in the Hippodrome recognised this. They recognised this as this great biblical, uh, great biblical scene. Um, he then has Tiberius III's nose cut off and then has them both killed uh, because that's the way things are going now. Uh, they're not going to get to live out their lives. He's going to, he has them both uh, executed after the fact. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and this is where, according to the sources, the admittedly very hostile sources uh, claim that oh, the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket. Uh, they say uh, Justinian essentially is mad uh, and gets madder and madder uh, as the next is only another six years. He's, he's back in the throne in 705 and he's going to be deposed again in 711. Uh, the suggestion is that he just gets worse and worse and worse. He just goes out after every uh, opponent that he can find uh, and uh, is horrible to them. Um, as you can well imagine, that's just not the case. It's just not that. It's not that blatant. Mm. He isn't, he isn't another Toledo or Nero no, in this no. case. I think, it, I think some of the six sources tried to claim that he was. He just wasn't. Um, uh, there's some suggestion that he goes that he goes and annihilates Ravenna for its for its support of um, for its support of his deposition. Seemingly there were some prominent uh, Ravenites uh, in his, uh, during his first deposition. Um but no, he goes after Ravenna because the Pope asks him to. Um, so it's part of this sort of, he, he reconciles with the Pope over Quinisex. They come to eventually come to some kind of arrangement that essentially the bits that the Pope doesn't like about the Quinisex Council, he can ignore. <laughs> and uh, as long as he's willing to basically recognise uh, Justinian as the emperor, he's, uh, they sort of leave it like that. Justinian has learned to pick his battles there. Uh, and part of this battle is um, the Archbishop of Ravenna is trying to impose his uh, freedom from the papacy 
and uh, essentially Justinian interjects in this and says, look, you, the Pope is my ally, so I am now interjecting on, this, on the side of the Pope. And he does away with a lot of leaders of Ravenna and uh, seemingly sparks uh, a usurpation, um, but put, puts it down very quickly. Uh, there's all kinds of stories about how he treats the Archbishop of uh, Ravenna. I think, I think well, is, is this the story where he, um, again, he decides he's, he's a member of the clergy, so he can't murder him, he can't shed his blood. So he uh, has a big silver dish uh, boiled with vinegar and then forces the Archbishop to stare into it uh, and it destroys his sight. I think it's a man called Phoenix. Uh, Archbishop Phoenix. Um, again, this is what it sounds one of these stories that's made up to make Tiberius or to make uh, Justinian sound awful. Um, and I think it is just that. I think it is a uh, it's an embellished story uh, to make him sound terrible. Uh, kind of like the way the cathedral that it wasn't really as bad. And if while it was bad, it wasn't as bad as. And I, yeah, I, I bring was... I bring cathedral up again because he's such. I feel like he is the perfect comparison with Justinian because the sources make him out seem really bad, but he later historians has kind of question is he as was he as bad as, as yeah I, I I don't I don't think I don't even think I don't even think Justinian's even in the same mold as, mm. uh, as I mean it's kind of a fair comparison I, I think with the sources and that yeah, how they I think, I, I, portray him to be and etc. For for all the to my mind for all the. Uh, for all the exaggeration about some of the things that Caligula does, he was still a terrible emperor. Mm. Uh, sort of. Whereas, for all the exaggeration, I don't think Justinian is a terrible emperor. I think he's actually quite a decent emperor. Um, so, I think that's where the sort of. I mean, I, it's one of these things you can you can you can strip away some of the, the the negative source material, but in the end, you still have quite a a bad man or, yeah. or emperor. Um, I think Caligula was. Basically, from what I read about him, he, he liked his jokes too much. He thought he was he thought he was funnier than he was, and didn't really seem to realise that his jokes were increasingly insightful of violence against him. Mm. Um, just shows you he was too young. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, Justinian's just not Justinian the Second's saying. I mean, none of his reign is terrible. I mean, I, I would argue that seemingly none of his reign was. Should really have gotten deposed. It's only it just it's just the time. It's just the it's just the uh, the period that he's in gets him deposed twice uh, for some for things that I mean that other emperors wouldn't have got deposed for. Um, say again, he's just say maybe he's just unpopular with the wrong people, uh, and that people have forgotten this, and people I'm sure people have not forgotten this when it comes to the second time. Um, I say the uh, sec- his second problem is in. Uh, is in is in Cherson where he has come from, and again, all reeks of that uh, he is going after Cherson because it was his uh, his place of exile. They're going to just he's going to destroy it, and he does send some uh, he does send some uh, an expedition there, but seemingly he sends the expedition there because the Khazars have invaded. Uh, that is, it's one of these it's sort of one of these things that gets lost almost in this the hyperbole of the likes of. Um, uh, the likes of Theophanes and maybe in a lesser extent to Nicephorus um, he he sends an expedition to Cherson first to get his wife back because he's from the Khazar Khan he he's, he's allows him to do it 
um, which, which is successful, and Theodora arrives in Constantinople, brings her young son with them, that's all fine. Uh, but also then you hear this sort of, and it's sort of almost glossed over by the sources, that there's a, there are Khazar soldiers in Roman territory. So actually, does he not send, and then the suggestion is he sends this expedition to punish Cherson. Um, does he not send this expedition to get rid of the Khazars? Uh, now, the suggestion is that maybe the, some of the Chersonites had sided with the Khazars. Um, but I mean, it seems that this whole thing sort of starts off as a, a defense of Roman territory and then sort of balloons out into something else because um, basically people, again, it's people feel Justinian. Uh, the, think the first expedition fails to do what it's supposed to do and are therefore seemingly scared about what Justinian's going to do to them after the fact. So, so then they end up they end up uh, joining the rebels, and then he sends out another expedition destroyed by a storm. Another expedition which then rebels properly, claims the claims the empirehood. Uh, and the other thing to add to this again, I suppose, I mean, he's, he's had he's he's not got religious problems now because he has uh, he has made an, he's made sort of friends with the pope, uh, but he's he's had another military defeat by this point as well. Uh, he tried to and attack the Bulgars who had helped him he tried to go and attack them uh, and it did not go well uh, actually it's uh, uh, the Battle of Ancuhalus is a, a bit of a disaster uh, for Justinian so straight away so he, again he's trying to go and make sort of repeat what he had done in his first part of his reign win an early victory doesn't at uh, this time it is disastrous uh, and now all those negative things that people remembered about him are coming to the fore uh, many hears of this uh, potential invasion in the Crimea, tries to go and fix that. It doesn't work either. Uh, so, it may, and then so actually all those people, he already has poor relations with, he hasn't fixed. So 16 years later, it's maybe almost, it's, it's almost exactly the same uh, rebellion happening again. This time, instead of Leontius, it's a man called Bardanes, uh, mm. an Armenian. Now, something I, I wanted I wanted to mention this before before we go to his second enthronement, because something else that it changes in his reign is, and it's not a little minor detail, but I'm kind of want to bring it up as, regardless, because the coin changed, and again, like we talked about earlier, it comes from the again like his first reign. So how does the coin? Because it seemed to be more religious the second time around than the first time. Yeah. It? I think even I think even before uh, he had he had he had meddled with the coinage, even in his first reign, uh, and this is this is the famous Christ coin. Uh, he is the first Roman emperor to well, he's not the first. There had been a coin with Christ on it in mid fifth century, but it had been a sort of one off. Um, he is the first emperor to put Christ on his coins, and not just he doesn't just put just Christ on his coins. He puts Christ on the front of his coins instead of the emperor. The emperor then goes in the back. Uh, so this, um, it's one of these strange things that at the time it is revolutionary. After his second deposition, uh, it is forgotten and never and not used again for a century. I think. Uh, I think it's maybe up into the mid early eighth, sorry, the early ninth century. I think, or maybe even longer. It might even be post iconoclasm. I think. Um, but this is the sort of a great sort of seen as a great watershed because uh, it's a, the depiction of Christ on his coins. It actually becomes a bit of a staple 
line of how Christ is going to look in, in Byzantine art uh, for a long time, basically all the way up to the end of the empire almost. It is the basis uh, of, uh, of Christ, the Christ depiction. So it is quite, uh, it is quite significant for Byzantine art history and art, art of Christ in general. Absolutely, yeah. It's the, I mean, Christ had been depicted and had been depicted a lot, but it is the, it is the it is the way he depicts Christ that becomes so influential. It's a sort of full-bodied, bearded man. Um, connect again, connecting it with the emperor. Uh, it's the, I mean, the, we literally now we have Christ and the emperor as two sides of the same coin. Uh, that kind of propaganda cannot be uh, cannot be sort of under uh, overlooked. Um, so the so the modern is, depiction of Christ does come from Justinian the second. Um, not not wholly, but when when the Byzantine depiction of him, when it says the one the one that sort of becomes prominent in art, harkens back to this coin. Uh, it is uh, uh, it becomes. I mean, I mean, Christ had been depicted beforehand, uh, but it's sort of it become once once they once they I think when they decide to put Christ on coins again. Um, It is they, they copy they copy, they essentially copy this coin. So uh, and that's it. the whole Christ coin uh, argument spills into the the war of images we were mentioning earlier. Uh, this whole suggestion that he put Christ in his coinage uh, so Muslims wouldn't want to use the coins is all, all part of the argument. Um, and then the Muslims made their own coins and were paying tribute to the Romans, and therefore the Romans didn't want to have tribute in the in the Muslim coins. Uh, so that's sort of uh, They sort of the, the it's it's more important for the watershed I think more than anything else uh, rather than because again there are no Christ coins after seven mm-hmm. eleven uh, and but I say it's one of the things that in medieval and then there's the whole thing is dominated by iconoclasm after that uh, well, how to depict anything uh, so when they come back to actually depicting Christ on coins uh, it is it is it is the sort of outline of Justinian's. Uh, Of Justinian's Christ, and also when it say influences art as well. Um, I would say that's the whole, the whole, this whole uh, sort of epoch is very influential on not just Christian, not just Roman Christian art, but uh, Muslim art as well. I mean, it's, while while constant, while Justinian is putting Christ on his coins, the Muslims, particularly Abdul Al Malik, is starting to put less and less on his coins. He's going to. He's taking away. They, they use quotes from the Quran, right? They use quotes from Quran. Yes, the that's that. That is that's the big that's the big change that they make. They they had used Roman coins up to this point, um, making them look like different things, making them look like the caliph, potentially one of them making them look like Muhammad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to mention that that there, the, there the, is, the, and this the is mentioned. In, but I think it's been debunked by now, but it's mm. question that it is Muhammad and not Abdul Abdul Al But, yeah, yeah, I think I think the suggestion is that they're suggesting he's holding a is he holding a staff? I think, and it's a suggestion. Yeah. It's the staff of it's the staff of Muhammad yeah. as well. But essentially, it's I mean, regardless of what the Muslims are trying to make it look like, or the the Umayyads, if we're going to be oh, I'm going to be clear, like it, it is an, it's a Roman emperor. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. the Roman emperor. It just happens to have been changed. Um, you see, sort of like there's a section of coins there are. Uh, the three standing caliph coins, and it's it's Roman emperors. It's Heraclius and his two sons. Um, there's the standing caliph coin, probably Constance II, if not Constantine IV. Uh, is he being made to look like a caliph, or is he being made to look like um, Muhammad? In the end, it's a Roman coin. Um, as I think I mentioned already, the 
uh, the Romans sell their coins to the Muslims because right up until uh, Abdi al-Malik, probably in the uh, mid-690s, basically all Umuad or Arab coins, whatever you're going to go, were Roman coins. Uh, They're just remade in different ways. It's Abdi al-Malik who comes up with the dinar uh, and sort of this uh, this new sort of coin. And seemingly one of the arguments was that he then tried to use this coin to pay tribute to Justinian. And Justinian said no, and that sort of supposedly led to the War of uh, 692. Not the case because the dates don't really sync up. Um, But again, they're they're two very influential uh, coins. So while Justinian puts more religious stuff on his coins and has a depiction of the emperor and a depiction of Christ, Mm. Uh, Abdi al-Malik decides that the only way he can have coins that are clearly not Roman in origin, because the Roman Roman coins were so ubiquitous that even when they start trying to make their own coins to begin with, they look like Roman coins because they're sort of playing by Roman rules. So Abdi al-Malik has to change everything and he throws out the rule book and he comes up with the dinar that, as you say, is verses from the Quran. Mm. Uh, and it's just there is no other there is no figural representation on it uh, again it's one of the sort of I suppose idea uh, the, the people some people might say but that's how Islam always was not the case Islam when it first started out was not had no real problem depicting people uh, and actually for periods after this it has no problem either depicting people but on the coins they go an iconic there is no icon on the coins it is it is uh his writings from the Quran and the Khalif's name uh, that is and sometimes usually usually some of the Shahada so the the profession of uh, of, uh, of Islamic faith uh, either in short and short or long term long form uh, so yeah they, they mean it's incredibly important for I mean that's that I mean that sort of move towards an iconicism uh, is incredibly important for Muslim art as well I mean you look at Muslim art from this period uh, which is some of the great temples of, uh, or some of the great mosques of, mm. uh, even now. I mean, uh, the great mosque in, in Jerusalem. You go in. I mean, it's built uh, under Abdel Al Malik. It's the last last decade of the of the seventh century, early eighth century, uh, and it is made with very little, if nor no, figurative art. Uh, it is all, uh, it is all sort of just just mm. no people, nothing nothing depicted person, no, no certainly no people depicted. Uh, and it looks, say, it looks fantastic, but it looks, and the way that's it looks very different. It doesn't look like it's Roman art at all. Uh, there's a little bit of Persian in there for it. Uh, the Persians were not the Persians were not ones for uh, depicting people in a lot of their art. Certainly not depicting gods in a lot of their art. Uh, so, uh, so actually, there was a bit of Sassan and Persian influence in there as well. You can sort of see that connection. Uh, but it's a very important artistic development both in both in terms of uh justinian and his christ uh, but also abdi al-malik uh, and his uh, nothing and his an, 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 an iconic coin um whether or not then there's any connection between those two in starting a war between the, the romans and the and the umuad caliphate in 692 probably not uh, although it made, makes for a nice story, uh, the War of Images makes for a nice story, but it explains mm. why Abdel Al Malik and Justinian acted the way they did. But actually, in the end, it probably is just they were both happy to have a war at that point and just needed any kind of excuse uh, and just decided to, that was it and we're going to have a war in 692. And they just happened to go uh, the way of Abdel Al Malik at that point. 
Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to bring it up briefly. Sorry for the, sorry for the regular bit, but I wanted to bring it up briefly because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, a little bit, uh, kind of important as well for his reign. Or yeah. it's the, to be honest, actually, it's the it's the one, I suppose, long term uh, consequence or legacy, maybe even of Justinian the Second's reign, both of his reigns. Um, as I say, he becomes a bit of a forgotten emperor because um, he gets over. He gets so overshadowed by Justinian the First. I think I mentioned to you. It's he gets so overshadowed by it that even things that we know Justinian the Second did get attributed to Justinian the First. Like the whole, as I, meant, I think I mentioned it already, the whole the whole sort of visit to Thessalonica is mm. attributed by in some traditions to Justin in the first, but we know he wasn't there. Um, Justin in the second was. So the record probably, and the other thing you have to remember about all of this, why would that, why, how can, how can we make this more uh, uh, problematic for us all is that they didn't use regnal numbers. So Justin in the second will not have been Justin in the second at, at the time of his reign. He will just have been Justin in. He will have been the emperor Justin in. So when people say, oh, the Emperor Justinian went to Thessalonica, I mean, people automatically think, oh, the great Justinian, 537 to six to 565, he went to Thessalonica because there wasn't any other Justinian because mm. he gets forgotten because A, the soldiers don't like him and B, he gets overshadowed by a far more uh, important and uh, uh, influential character. Uh, when actually, when it says, I think I think it is some, I think it is a sort of uh, Paleologan, uh, picture outline talks about, says the emperor Justinian came here. Um, it means the emperor Justinian the second. Whether the person who wrote it recognised that or not, it is the emperor Justinian the second because he's the one who went to Thessalonica. Um, and so, and I say that sort of flies in the face. It's, it's, that also sort of plays into the idea that he really wasn't that bad an emperor because normally the bad emperors get remembered ever every bit as much as the good emperors uh, if he had been a Caligula if he had been a uh, a Nero he would be remembered sort of almost far more the fact mm-hmm. is he just wasn't as bad as anybody who picks him as so he's he's not famous for doing great things but he's not infamous for doing terrible things he's sort of more in the middle which of course means in the middle you get forgotten yeah, uh, and you, the one you mentioned already, you mentioned Claudius. The Emperor Claudius is, is, is exactly the same. He's not Augustus, he's not Tiberius, uh, but he's not Nero and he's not Caligula. So yeah. actually, even in the ancient world, he was he was forgotten. Um, he wasn't quite lucky with his wife either, to be honest. No, no, and that, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why they take to, to and actually, one of the other reasons why he's not popular is uh, he was popular with the Flavians. So by the time the Flavian dynasty ends with Domitian, who really was not popular with the people writing all the history, everything that the Flavian dynasty liked gets sidetracked, and that includes Claudius. So by the time we get to the mid-third century and you have Claudius II, Claudius Gothicus, uh, essentially it's been forgotten that there has been a previous emperor Claudius. Uh, so... Uh, that sort of that's and I, I would imagine I, I would I would argue this is the same kind of thing that's happened with Justinian II. Um, he's he's got the added problem 
of having a predecessor with the same name who has done far more. Uh, it's like another emperor having the name Augustus and that being an only name. It's only Augustus. I mean, say if Caligula was called Augustus and had been a good emperor, he just isn't going to be as good as Augustus. So he things he might do get, might get subsumed. Now, of course, the problem, or the good thing for the earlier colonies is we've got decent sources. So, but as soon as you've got some kind of dubious source material, like Theophanes and Nicephorus with their with their slants and also their uh, sort of their own sort of their own uh, personal problems with their own sources being the same being the same thing, um, people will will forget things and overlook things either happily or not so happily, uh, and I think that's sort of what happens with Justin, and he's he's depicted in the sec- in his secondary and once he's back he is depicted as a monster, he is depicted as say murdering anybody he wants and going yeah. basically I, I think I mentioned I recall I talk about him as a so he's, he's depicted as like this avatar of revenge uh, he is out to get anybody who fe- he feels has wronged him uh, it's just not the case he's not he, he doesn't go after the Pope he makes friends with the Pope uh, he goes after the Bulgars yes that's maybe a little bit that's that's unfinished business he meant to he meant to go after the Bulgars from the moment he got on the throne to avenge, to avenge his father. Uh, he went after Ravenna because the Pope asked him to. Uh, he seemingly goes after Cherson because uh, first the Crimea has been invaded by uh, by Khazar troops who, who have, uh, and the Khazars have betrayed him uh, and also seemingly because the Chersonites side with them. So he's he's got some excuses here uh, and he's not just going to kill people for for whatever reason he's all the people he attacks he has actually reasons for now you might argue some of them are not great reasons i would say attacking the bulgars is not was not a uh, was not a particularly um uh, what's the word for it um didn't make him look particularly good because they had just helped him get the throne back uh, but in the end that's what the roman emperor does the roman emperor fights the bulgars at this point and for the next 500 years, we'll fight the Bulgars uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, so what was the trust for the second enthronement? We had to run up a bit here, but what was the trust trust for the second enthronement? Uh, the, 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 to get rid of the way they get rid of him is it's, a, it's again it's this combination of he's, he's he's been militarily defeated by the Bulgars. Uh, there's some I think the I think the uh, the raids on. Uh, Anatolia by the Arabs have started again uh, and the, the army doesn't seem to be able to do anything about them. So there's military defeat is, is in the air in, uh, in what we are in 7-Eleven and uh, up to 7-Eleven now. Um, the, the people who didn't like him the first time round still don't like him. He hasn't changed any of those policies. Uh, again, he doesn't think he was wrong. Uh, so that's something that doesn't help. Um, uh, in and again, then he's 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 seemingly fighting against. He he sends an awful lot of a lot, a couple of I think it's maybe three separate expeditions to the Crimea. Um, the first one, well, actually, actually, I think I think technically it's five. He sends one. He sends a big expedition to go and get his wife, which is destroyed by a storm. Uh, the Khazar Khan then laughs at him and says, "Why did you do that? You could have just sent one ship, and I would have sent her to you." And that's what happens. He sends a ship, brings her back. Um, then. I think there's there's rumours or some suggestion that the uh, the Khazars have uh, intervened. I, I think there's maybe some revolt in Cherson as well. Uh, again, the sources a little bit 
chronologically iffy about some of this. Um, uh, but it seems that he, he sends an expedition to uh, quell either invasion or revolt in Crimea. But as he funnels more and more men in, it just gets worse. They, uh, they, they don't win outright. I think at one stage, I think the, some of the members of the are defeated, captured and taken back to um, taken back to Kazaria into, into, the, into the Caucasus and are executed en masse at a funeral. Um, so things are not going well. And again, a lot of these men who, who when the expeditions don't go well, will remember what happens to men who fail Justinian militarily. Again, he's, he's, he's probably been a bit of a victim of his previous actions. Uh, when, 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 when he faces military defeat... Uh, it, it can't have been just Justinian, though. It, he it has... imprisoned Leontius. Uh, and he... he, he uh, but it can't have just can't been... Have been it's not just been just Indian though. It has to be the army as well. He has championed that that bad in general, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think he. I mean, I think I think the the military defeat at Ancyalus was somebody just didn't send out any scouts, and that was the so that's a bad choice by somebody. And the fact that I mean, to be fair, there, I don't send I don't send the scouts for that place he was six either though. So yeah, uh, <laughs> so I mean, there's. Uh, the thing is, the thing is about this is the emperor gets all the credit when an mm. when an army goes mm. well, and he gets all the but he gets so, so he, he hopes to get none of the blame when things go badly because and that's the way it is. That, that's the way Justinian plays it. When the army goes well, it works for it. It's, it was him that did it. It's his auspices or him in person. Um, but he was also there in person at Ancyalus and at Sebastopolis. Um, at Sebastopolis, he blamed Leontius. Uh, at Cherson, with the sort of incipient revolt, I think the commander on the ground knows he's going to be blamed, so it just gets worse. So actually, and, and I think then Justinian starts to send more men. I think he starts to realise when things he starts to he starts to he stops getting updates of what's happening in Cherson, um, and he starts to realise that something bad is happening. That all these men he has sent maybe have not been doing have either been defeated. Or have rebelled against him, and uh, he uh, he decides he has to do something about it, and he does something about it by um, how can I put this? Now the the revolts in Cherson, so the Crimea, you would imagine. So he gets he he mobilizes the army. You would imagine that's where he's going to go. You'd imagine he'd go to Cherson, like he would he would sail up to Cherson to try and defeat these rebels. Instead, he marches east into Armenia which doesn't make any strategic sense. Um, I think somebody tried to suggest that he thought maybe that's where he'd heard that the, the leader of the rebellion was now a man called Bardanes, who was Armenian. So therefore, maybe he thought that's where he was going to go. He was going to go to Armenia. But actually, no. <laughs> when Bardanes takes, uh, takes ship at Crimea, he goes straight for Constantinople. Um, and... Justinian has marched away from his capital uh, at a time when his throne is now under threat. Um, mm. It's a very, very poor strategic move on Justinian's part. Uh, he hears that this fleet is on its way. Um, he's sort of just south of Sinope, I think, by this point. So he's gone a long way west. Uh, he's gone, he's he at least that's where he's heading, I think. And uh, he's at a camp called Demas Demetrius, I think. Uh, hears that this is about to happen. 
and, and headlong back towards Constantinople. Uh, he arrives at the Bosphorus and finds that Constantinople has already fallen uh, to, uh, to the new emperor, uh, Philippicus Bardanes. Uh, Justinian tries to retreat, <clears throat> recognising that if he can get back to his army, he'd be able to fight uh, and say, sort of not overlooking the, the sort of popularity of the Heraclean name. Uh, some of these themes, theme thematic armies are, are very loyal uh, to the Heraclean dynasty. Um, if he can escape back to them, he can have a fighting chance. Uh, but he's overtaken on the way home, on the way there by uh, by men who he supposedly had wronged and had executed their families and that kind of thing. Again, we're not entirely sure uh, if this is the case. Uh, but this one man, I think it's Helio, I think his name is, who the suggestion is that he had uh, forced his wife to marry an Indian or something like that. There's some real story about him. Uh, he then kills Justinian instead of deposing him or maiming him further or trying to exile him to a monastery. He just hacks his head off, uh, and that uh, kills Justinian. In uh, I mean, if it wasn't actually another one, to be fair. Well, they had no choice now. Uh, it was, what else were they going to do? They, they, they'd already cut off his nose, sliced mm. over his tongue. What are they going to do to him? Uh, what are they going to do to stop him? He had proven that that kind of dismemberment, essentially, was not going to stop him. Mm. Uh, so essentially, Helio has to decide that the one thing that is going to stop him, he's going to have to be dead. Uh, yeah. and, that's, uh, and that's what he, he, he hacks off his head. Um there is sort of the little addendum to all this before we forget that this is uh, just this is Justinian the last enthroned uh, Heraclean. Uh, Justinian does have a son, uh, Tiberius, the young Tiberius. Uh, he's about six, seven at this point. Uh, is co-emperor with the son of his father. He had appeared on uh, his father's coins on the other side of the Christ coins. Um, he had been in the care of his grandmother. Um, Anastasia, I do believe her name was, uh, Justinian's mother. Um, she tries to hide in one of the churches, I think it's the Blackernai uh, in Constantinople, um, but the agents of Bardanes basically burst into this church, take the boy outside and essentially got him. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really sorry, uh, sorry and sad scene. Uh, he's said, I think he's treated like I think they sort of say that he's treated like a uh, yeah. like a like a sheep who is being basically uh, culled for food. So he's, he's bled open that way. Uh, a really sort of sad end. I mean, he's a six-year-old boy, so it's going to be sad anyway. Um, but I say that's the end of the constant, the end of the Heraclean dynasty, the dynasty that had saved the empire on possibly two occasions at this point. Uh, first, Heraclius against the Persians, and then. Uh, I suppose Constans and Constantine, Constantine the Fourth against the against the Arabs. Uh, the uh, so the next dynasty is going to save the empire as well uh, with uh, Leo the Third. But a really sort of sad way for the Heraclean dynasty to end. Um, uh, probably not deserved. I would I would say I would say I don't think Justinian deserved to be deposed either time really. Um, but it's just. It's, it's the wrong time. It's a very sort of, uh, what's the word for it? It's very uh, anarchic time. It's only going to get worse. Uh, there's going to be, what, this is 7-11. There's going to be three emperors in the next six years. Uh, it's just going to get worse. Uh, and 
uh, the Arabs are on their way with a great siege of Constantinople. <coughs> so that's say that's Justin in the second. I say his his head is now firmly removed. He is no longer he's no longer going to he's not going to get the throne back again. There's a, yeah, there's a small chance of another return now. Yeah, he hasn't got a, he hasn't got a hope. Uh, although of course David has said he wouldn't have a hope when he had lost his uh, when he had lost his nose and his tongue. Uh, so um, who knows? Yeah, uh, he he's, he had uh, he had proven him, I think he, he had proven himself far more resilient. I think than sort of almost anyone uh, would have uh, would have suggested. Um, I say for his. It's very, he's a very hard person to sort of come up with any kind of legacy for. Uh, we've mentioned some of the things already uh, about the whole idea that he is uh, just not as bad as the sources could have predicted him or would, would, would present him as. Um, but at the same time, he must have been bad enough for him to be deposed twice. It doesn't just happen. <laughs> it doesn't just mm. happen. Um he probably could be quite cruel, I think. But then every Roman emperor was a bit like that, and, had, and maybe had to be cruel at times. Uh, he maybe was a bit hot-tempered, a bit reckless. Um, but at the same time, he also he also could do all right. I mean, some, I mean, some of the uh, some of the depictions of him by by Theophanes just don't really sort of follow sense, doesn't he? I mean, I think. Recklessness, I think, is a good one. I think I think Theophanes does call him reckless, um, and it's because at times he is reckless. Uh, I think the second war against the against the Arabs, uh, he has he has allowed himself to be played uh, by the by the Arab caliph, um, but he's not some big bad emperor who's sort of wrecked the empire or uh, over or sort of ruined things. He's actually. Uh, he seemingly is he's been quite a decent administrator, uh, even if he makes him unpopular with the wrong people. Um, I say those are not it's a, the thing is that it, they are not bad policies. They're just unpopular with powerful people, um, which doesn't say doesn't make them bad. It makes them problematic for his uh, for his longevity, shall we mm. say? Uh, so I say he's a, a, a he's, he, he also seems to work. Uh, He's, he's quite good administratively. He's, not only does he find um, the Hellas theme, he seemingly finds a the, another province in Sicily, maybe one in Sardinia. He maybe also sort of laid sort of the foundations for some of the naval theme that came forward. Uh, he also had a law code in the Nomos Georgius, which we've mentioned. Uh, so, I mean, he did a lot of the things sort of that his great predecessor had done, just on a sm- far smaller scale and uh, far less, I suppose, uh, well received. Uh, it doesn't reconquer any territory, which I suppose in the end is what he was supposed to do. Uh, so he has he really li- he has has he lived up to his fact to the name he's been given? Probably not. Uh, but then I'm not sure. I'm not sure that in the the six eighties, I'm not sure anybody could have. Uh, I think there was. Uh, uh, he could could he have gone on to the offensive more with the with the uh, Arabs in the second fitna? Possibly. He possibly could have reconquered some territory in uh, in Anatolia, maybe even into Syria. But once the once the Arab Caliphate is uh, reunited, it's just too powerful. Uh, it would have it would have ousted him from uh, Syria again. So it's the Umayyads at this point, right? Yeah, it's the Umayyads until uh, seven fifty, seven fifty one. I believe so. 
Yeah. I think it's opposite stage. Yeah. Which which doesn't change an awful lot, but changes enough that uh, that things become a bit more. Actually, probably actually lessens the threat to the empire because the Abbasids are far more eastern in their in their view. They they sort of are not focused on the uh, the Mediterranean anywhere near as much. Um, but yeah, it's he's, he's Justin ends a bit of a forgotten man. Um, and to be honest, with his record, I can understand why he's forgotten. Uh, but also he's not the kind of chap we want to see forgotten because he's got such an interesting story. Uh, say an emperor who's deposed, and there's not too many emperors who are deposed and regained the throne. Uh, there are there are even fewer who are deposed, mutilated and regained and regained the throne. Uh, he is uh, he is one he is one of one when it comes to that. I think well actually, one of the Isaacs one of the Isaacs is blind, but I don't think he was blinded and gets the throne back. But uh, I don't I think maybe. It's about as close as you can get. There are few emperors that does what Justinian does and come back after being just being yeah. mutilated, to put yeah. it that way. I think I, I don't think is it one of the is it Isaac the third or Isaac the fourth, right? But the fourth crusade, the one who's sort of taken out of prison and is blind. I don't think he was blinded, which means he wasn't mutilated, he was just blind because he was old. Uh, I think but he becomes emperor again uh, by being blind. So maybe so that, and that's I think that's the only one who becomes sort of uh, sort of close to Justinian in that way. Um, but of course, that's the point. I mean, he was he was mutilated to stop him from becoming emperor again, and uh, it doesn't work. So they stop mutilating people and start blinding them instead. Uh, Bardanes is blinded. Uh, I say it's a bit later. Become blinding becomes uh, I say some some blindings most blindings. And some castrations is the is the way they go. Blinding becomes the main uh, the main sort of way to remove somebody from the imperial throne. Uh, it's not punitive mutilation; it's dynastic. It's called dynastic mutilation, uh, and that's the uh, that's the way they sort of go with it. Um, but at least, say Justinian, Justinian a very on a very elite list, um, which is one of these things. It, it, it reflects both poorly and well on him. Poorly that. That's what he. People decided that that's what he need that needed to happen to him, uh, but also it reflects well on him that he didn't let it, let it break his spirit. He, he uh, is quite willing to come back and regain the throne. I uh, say so a lot of people might have just faded into obscurity. A lot of people do fade into obscurity with uh, with things that can't happen to them. Uh, but he is uh, made of stern stuff. I always say uh, very much sort of. Uh, I suppose maybe the training and the sort of idea that his father's his father has instilled in him about his destiny, I suppose that really is. He, he probably it probably is the kind of thing that kept him going. And his say which is encapsulated in his name. And he is sort of he had, he he realized he's or claimed he still had something still to do. Uh, so he was he was going to be emperor again. <clears throat> and thank you so much for coming on this it's been a pleasure to talk with Not you. A problem. But, before you go, do you have anything you want to promote on the social media where people might find you or where people can buy your book if they are interested in reading more Absolutely. about Justinian? Yes, I, my, my book is Justinian II, uh, available in, well, all good bookstores. Well, some book, good bookstores. Uh, online is the best way to get it. Uh, my other books are uh, War with Three Gods, which is about third, the 7th century, sorry, the war between the Romans, the Persians and the Arabs. Uh, I also have a book on Constantius II, another emperor who's done dirty by the sources. 
uh, and also the Emperor Zeno. Um, the uh, I say I don't really I, I I run some social media accounts, but I do not have one of my own. Uh, probably to my detriment, but it's, it takes up too much time. <laughs> that's the that's the case. So uh, if you cl- the classical association of Northern Ireland is uh, if you want to have a follow of them uh, on Twitter or Facebook, uh, or uh, I think we're on TikTok as well. We're on all kinds of things. Uh, we're doing sort of a little series of uh, one minute videos on all the Roman emperors at the moment. So uh, you can have a, you can check those out on YouTube. They, uh, uh, they're a bit of fun uh, and trying to sort of a little primary source on an aspect of Roman emperors. Um, and imagine when I get to Justinian the second, it will be him losing his nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will be, I think uh, I can't remember. I'm trying to think what I did for Claudius. Um, I think it might have been his murder. Or no, it'll be his, 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 his accession. It's the finding him behind a curtain as the uh, is the one for Claudius, just for your, just for your own records. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This has been Wadatesh12. We are available on Instagram under Wadatesh12. You can find our podcast on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you can find podcasts. If you do have the time, please consider rating our podcast on Apple Podcasts and write a little review if you can. That would help us out tremendously. Please like, share and subscribe. And I'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.